I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We are going back to the hive in season five of the, the Connor, Connor and Smith, Smith Show. Nice. Um, what are we doing today? <laughs> I was about to tell you. We're going back. We're going back. Yeah, that's been the thing. Going back. Uh, we are talking to Randy McFadden today of uh, The Unity Project and now of The Voice of Nickelodeon. Well, um, I was going to say, people have probably heard Randy's voice throughout the, the years, not knowing that it's Randy maybe sometimes. The Irish Spring guy, um, other things, McDonald's. We'll get into all of it. Um Randy was uh, just like a rock star in my eyes uh, and still is. So I can't wait to talk to him. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back. Oh. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello. Hey there. You're looking for yes. I'm not Iron Road. I'm the other one you know. Is that the new Unity Project song? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say uh, Lionel Richie's spinning his grave. <laughs> hey Randy, what is up? Hey guys, how are you? Great, great. I'm sitting here with my husband and co-host Matt Connor. Hey, 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 hey. gentlemen. And uh, Ryan Dean Halbrook, our producer. Hello, oh, my God. How are you? What, what's I'm going on, guys? Well, man. Oh, man, this is crazy. I apologize about the technical difficulties. I was trying to get my my normal uh, setup, but I could not get my um, preamp to connect to the um, app software for some reason. But here we are. I'm on my iPhone, so there we go. The only thing you might have to navigate is if your iPhone falls asleep, we will get disconnected. So you might just okay. have to keep her awake. <laughs> I will do so. Lots of strong coffee for my iPhone. That's right. That's right. Well, my friend, it's been a long freaking time. Um, we have, we've done this series trying to just catch up with folks that we haven't spoken to in like 20 years and and just kind of see where they are, what's going on. And it's really been an interesting thing. And you were on our list. Um, we, uh, where are you calling from? <laughs> I am in sunny South Orange, New Jersey. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, uh, Not it's just so on sunny. the other side of the swamps uh, from the city. I'm about, oh, as the crow flies, about 12 miles to Midtown Manhattan. Okay. All right. And uh, where where are you from originally, Randy? I well, I um, I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. Really? Yeah, yeah. I went to uh, well, I I was born in San Francisco or just outside of San Francisco, and my folks moved around quite a bit when I was a kid. But um, yeah, I spent most of my life in um, Huntsville, Alabama, which is the northernmost city. It's now the most populated city in the state of Alabama. How the heck was that, Alabama, man? <laughs> well, uh, I left at 18, and uh, I try to get back every three or four years. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what in, okay, so in young Randy's world, like, where did uh, being some kind of a performer, like, occur to you as a thing to try to do in your future? Oh, man. Well, um, 
I did tons of community theater when I was a kid. That was my escape. You know, I wasn't necessarily the most athletic kid. Like, I think I, I, oh, I played, you know, Little League and I played soccer. And I always just ended up sitting around, you know, picking the daisies. And everyone would yell at me to, you know, go chase the ball. So I found when I was young, the thing that um, kept my attention the most was um was doing theater so i did tons of like community little things in my town growing up um i worked for uh this one children's theater uh called fantasy uh still operating it's i think 60 some odd years they've been going and um lots of little plays and things and i fell in love with shakespeare when i was in high school and um and uh yeah and then you know made my way to Shenandoah. <laughs> so, so because we were kind of, uh, there was internet, but I think you had to go to like a library to use it uh, or put a, like a quarter in or something. Where did you uh, find out about SU? Like, how did you find out about Shenandoah? I, yeah, it's sort of a weird, like Shenandoah just kind of happened for me. Um, I think it was Robin Strzok and, um, Hal Herman came and auditioned at my high school, um, which was, I guess, my graduating class was 95. So, um, came down. Yeah, yeah, right. Right, way back, way back in the 20th century. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, uh, I, you know, it was the only college I applied for. <laughs> and they, um, they took me, and I was sort of eager to get away from my it was my escape really <laughs> it was far yeah. enough away from you know my childhood in Alabama that I could get away and sort of start fresh but yet it was still close enough that if I needed to run back I could get in the car and, and be there <laughs> so Robin Schroth and Hal Herman came to your school yeah I believe that was it mm -hmm. that's so funny um and so so you get there like I, I will get into the unity project of it all, but like what, <laughs> what was your first, so your first year at SU was uh, the fall of 95 then? Yeah. Fall of 95. I moved up. I, my family car, we had this old um, Dodge minivan. You remember the old blue Dodge minivan with the that. brown yep. wood siding? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I think everyone's family had one of those at some point in the nineties, but um, we, we had had that and, um, the week before I was supposed to come up to Shenandoah, I, I got a bunch of friends of mine from high school and we drove down to Birmingham to see a show and uh, I wrecked the van, completely destroyed it. We ended up not seeing the show and it was all well, my friends were all bummed and they ended, a bunch of them ended up hitchhiking down to Birmingham to see the show. But my folks came down and picked me up and we um, we put all of my belongings in a little tiny uh, uh, what was it? It was a, uh, what's uh, a Saturn, little tiny Saturn. We drove up to Shenandoah, and so uh, I got dropped off in Virginia with the suitcase and the dream, and yeah, there it was. Yeah. Um. So, Randy, like, uh, at some point, you're there. You majored in like straight BA theater, right? Yeah, that, that's correct. I, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to major in. I wanted to do a minor in literature, or I wanted to maybe do children's theater, but I ended up doing, uh, yeah, just the straight theater. I, I'd always um, loved Shakespeare. I loved the puzzle of sort of figuring out 
the language of Shakespeare. So that was always the thing I wanted to do. When I graduated, I that was my original plan when I first moved to New York was to um, was to come up here and just strictly do Shakespeare. That's all I really cared to do. And um, well, it didn't exactly work out that way. What what um what are some of the like shows that you that pop out that you did at Shenandoah that you can recall? Oh man, um, let's see. We did. I remember we did uh, Taming of the Shrew. I was uh, Gremio. I played the old man. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, it was weird because I had I really had two uh, experiences at Shenandoah because I I went for the and then I took a year and a half off and sort of just lived in the town and played with the band and uh, uh, made money. I worked all sorts of weird knickknack jobs all around Winchester. And then I came back to finish um, and it was like a whole new school of people. And we did, you know, it was a new theater or some Bryant and all that. Uh, let's see, we did 12 Angry Men uh, at the theater, the little black box theater at Orson Bryant. That was a fun one. Um yeah. <laughs> I can't really remember. It's been so long. Were you in Detective Story? No, that was just... Uh, I wasn't in Detective Story. That was just before me, I think. Or I... Something happened and I wasn't in Detective Story. I remember watching Detective Story. It was Grubs and... Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, man, all yeah. you guys. Yeah. Tammy Jacopetti. Oh, that yeah, nice? that's right. Yeah, oh, yeah. man. Um. So, so the Unity Project, how... This is the VH1 behind the music portion of the interview. Um, gotcha. How did that come to be? Well, yeah, first got to Shenandoah. Um, oh God, how did it first come to be? Well, I kind of hung out with a lot of the music guys when I first got there. Little crew that I was hanging out with, like um, Sean Buss and uh, Dan Shores and Lee McKay and all those guys. They were sort of my like, you know, fun party guys. We just hang out and listen to music, and um, we sort of had a lot of the similar interests. So we got together, and it was always music was always something that I gravitated towards. It was going to be theater or music for me, and and when I got to Shenandoah, I decided, you know, uh, let's start a band and put something together and see what happens. And it ended up lasting, you know, three or four years and we toured all over and with some wacky times. Yeah. I mean, you guys were incredible. Um, we just listened to a couple of tracks actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I haven't listened to them in years. Oh, wow. Neither had I, but I remember listening to them a lot. I think I had like a cassette tape or something um, back in the day. Uh, but it, it's, I was saying to Ryan, my God, especially when we were that young, like that level of organization, rehearsal, coordination, oh, yeah. there were a yeah. lot of pieces in that band. And well, and that was the other thing. I, I think at one point we had 11 people in the band. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's hard to um, to make money when you're a band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For many reasons, but most now of them are because there's so many people. Yeah, right, really. But, but I, I, you know, ska is coming back, I hear. Oh, it's the fourth wave. There's all sorts of great ska bands out now. You know, ska's got... There, I love I love listening to, like, one of my favorite things in the world is, like, finding new records and new bands and stuff. And um, there's all these great new ska bands. And I, specifically after 
the pandemic, not that we're really after the pandemic, but, you know, having been through what we've been through the last two years, people just want to smile and, you know, have something upbeat. So, um, yeah, of course, Scott's making a comeback. It's fun party music. Listening to uh, the couple of tracks we listened to, I, I really felt a, like a hip hop and a punk vibe to it as well. Oh, for sure. Well, that was, uh, you know, when I, when we first got together, all of us, and we started jamming out, it was really, there was a lot of funk influence. It was very like white boy funk. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and I sort of kind of pushed, I really wanted to do the ska thing. And actually, I think it was Bus originally who just wasn't having it. He was like, I don't know if I want to do this. And then we put together a few songs and we did a show and, um, you know, everybody partied, danced around, had a great time. And that sort of was the start of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it, it was all sorts of influences. We had a turntable. So there was like weird influences in it of like funk and hip hop. And it was a little bit of everything. But that's kind of like Shenandoah. At least that's what it was for me. And who were who was actually writing the songs? It was a completely collaborative effort. Um, Sean Bust wrote quite a bit. So did Dan Shores. Um, but everybody had their own part. I mean, it was really, it was really communal. You know, I mean, um, uh, Scott Penhalligan wrote quite a bit as well. Yes, wrote, Scott. Yeah, he wrote the song "16." Remember Scott? Yeah. I love Scott. Yeah. Yeah, but um, everybody had a hand in it. And then, of course, Daryl and I, you know, we used to sit around and get stoned and write the lyrics. <laughs> and they're so, very like... So that was the heavy lifting, is what I'm saying. They're very... The, <laughs> the lyrics were about very uh, political, very activist. Like, they... Oh, I love sure. them. Yeah. They um, they hold up. Um, yeah. And, we and were, yeah, go we, ahead. We were hoping it was going to change the world. <laughs> well, you know... When you're young. <laughs> I mean, you have this project of unity and then it just yeah. doesn't come to fruition. Yeah. Right. Well, Maybe that's what we need right now is a reunion of the unity project to bring the country well, together. We got off to play the inauguration for um, Ketanji Brown's uh, yeah. nomination to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Just, the timing didn't line up. I mean, she would love it. It's good hype music. <laughs> I, I don't know if she would, but you know, I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna roll with the punches. It's it's really. Um, I remember I used to put on uh, the Unity Project like to get like ready to go out to go like it was just oh, yeah. really good like get your blood pumping kind of music. Um, and and I remember seeing you guys perform at like the student center or something. I don't, and it was just like you guys were such rock stars on like the college world level but like it was so it's so impressive to me still to kind of imagine that you guys coordinated all of that and and pu pulled it off so amazingly well um the uh the of course the first track of the album unified stupidity that starts with uh <laughs> carmina barana and segued oh, yeah. by uh we're on a mission from god from the blues brothers <laughs> Yeah. right into your music um was always a fun kind of opener um but that uh, so that that lasted a couple years and then it just everybody moved away and that was kind of it right well you know it was sort of a uh, there came a point you know dan shores who you know played bass and um he really was sort of the glue that kept it all together for many years because 
he really had a great talent for networking and for talking to all sorts of people. I mean, we played some shows that for the time in the mid nineties were like probably a little bit bigger than we should have played at the time, you know, for a bunch of like knucklehead kids in Virginia playing a bunch of weird like rap ska, <laughs> you know? And uh, he, he really, he just had a great talent for keeping us going. And uh, there came a point when, yeah, I mean, of course people started leaving. I mean, specifically the, the horn section. I mean, there was a revolving door of the horn section. Many people played for that band, but the core group sort of, uh, when everybody started to graduate and move on, it was just sort of like, well, we can either stop and do this professionally or we can do what we came here to do. And I think everyone made the wise decision to, to do that. So then you, after uh, college, you said you went straight to New York. Yeah, so I um, I graduated in 2001, in December of 2001, right after 9-11. And um, we, uh, Chase Miles and myself, moved up and got an apartment in Astoria, Queens. Um, I think it was the 15th of December, 2001. And uh, it was a weird, it was sort of like Shenandoah North, because... Um, at one point, there were four apartments in the building, and it was myself and um, Jason Lyles. Oh, man. It was myself, Jason Lyles, Dan O'Brien. Um, uh, Jason Carter lived there for a period of time. Next door was That's Mike Grubb, work. Uh, Maggie Portman lived there for a bit. Uh, Mike Hedges had the apartment upstairs, and him and Patrick Hambrick, and I think Fitz lived there at one point. I mean, it was just like – I mean – apartments in this building and three of them were rented out by post Shenandoah grads it's a crazy party house wow yeah and we've talked to um to Fitz uh on this show and of course Pie Boys Flat had hit its own journey and sure. I remember there was oh god I think it was like a Thanksgiving or something where we were probably back in Winchester visiting Matt's folks and I think we dropped by what was known as Pie Boys Flat, um, that or right. what, maybe it was known as that. I can't remember. Um, but you were there, yeah, um, sure. And I can't remember. All I know is I have a I have pictures. God rest his soul, Josh Farner punching the floor. Um, Farner lived there as well for a period. <laughs> yeah, that's the one yeah. I missed. I'm pretty yeah. sure that was like 2000. I, I can't recall, but it, I've got the photos to prove it. I don't know. It was probably more like 2002-ish. I remember they, they started to get together and tour and things. I, they were on the college circuit for oh, quite a few years. And uh, I, I actually had my own metal band at the time. I started this prog metal band with a bunch of kids from Staten Island and we it was a totally different sound from the Unity Project or what the Pie Boys were doing. It was very experimental and proggy, and uh, we ended up touring around for years. We did the Warp Tour in 2006, and then it all kind of fell apart. We lost like four vans, and that was when I, did, you know, maybe I should stick with acting. It's, uh, it's a lot less painful. <laughs> I yeah, that's that's saying a lot. Um, yeah. It's it's interesting. I remember a couple things here, and I, I feel like, you know, old man Smith got to put on his glasses here to kind of look through his memories. But <laughs> we, I think Matt and I came up to New York at some point, like 2004 or five. 
uh-huh. and like met a bunch of SU people out at a bar. I think you were there. Um, was it a Pieboy show? No, it wasn't even a show. We just all like we were come to New York and like started like messaging people on like Friendster or something, <laughs> and we're wow. like, come come out and meet us at some bar. And I think, let's see, Sean Hollenbach was there. Danielle Ferretti was there. Sure, Rob Ivanic was there. I think you were there. Yeah, I I can't even remember, but that was like a crazy night. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. At some point in the early 2000s, didn't you land some like big commercial gig or something? Uh, well, uh, sort of. Yeah, I mean that's really what I what I've done for the last 20 years. <laughs> I am. Um, uh, I well, like I said, you know, I moved to the city and um, yeah, I wanted to give my crack at classical theater and do something with a little more uh, literary merit. And I tried for ages. I did off off. Broadway production of Shakespeare this and Moliere that and you know you name it and then after a while it just sort of got tired I had um, I booked a commercial agent probably 2002 um, you know I had been out on quite a few auditions at the time early 2000s was it was the boom time really the end of uh, the good times for the commercial business in New York and uh, I think it was 2003 or 2004, I booked a, a national spot, a McDonald's spot. I think that's probably the one you're talking about. And um, yeah. yeah, and that ran for a while. And then, um, uh, then I joined the union and I probably made somewhere close to 75 TV commercials in the last 20 years. What? Yeah, it's been a bunch. So that's been like your journey since. Okay sort of all come to an end it really doesn't exist anymore um that that whole side of the business kind of well i kind of did um you'll notice like now for instance when you turn on you know, maybe not a network like say you're putting on hgtv or something you'll notice it's the same two or three commercials playing over and over and over again at every commercial break and uh, yeah. it's because it's because people really don't uh i think the internet surpassed television for um for eyes and for revenue in um advertising oh gosh probably 10 15 years ago not 15 maybe 10 years ago like maybe 2012 and um yeah it's been tough the business really kind of disappeared and then when netflix and all the streaming services came around and uh you know what was that 2012 ish started and, you know, when they first all started, there were no commercials at all. So I was really sort of the death knell for um, the commercial business in the city. But for a while, I mean, it, it was a booming thing. I mean, I, I would, you know, it, it, was, it was lucrative for a while. I mean, if you booked two or three commercials in a year, even if they weren't national commercials and you were union, you could make a living. You could feed yourself and, you know, live in New York City, which is no easy task. Wow. So, so when that dried up, then what, what were, what were you uh, doing then? Sort of got lucky. I, um, uh, I booked my biggest job that I booked was in 2014. It was really things had started to slow and the union had sort of, um, had sort of crapped the bed on letting all these non-union things and all these celebrities get into commercials so much that, that everything had dried up and um, I had uh, gotten an audition for um, 
an Irish spring spot and uh, it ended up being three months of an audition process, but I ended up booking it and was calling the face of Irish spring for five. There's wow. a fresh, cool, fresh, cool Irish scent cleans a man up, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. 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 But that's what they wanted. They wanted somebody who, Irish enough that you know people in Oklahoma would be like, oh, I'm gonna buy that. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, but yeah, the the Irish Spring. I I remember that now. Yeah, that was that was probably the best gig until the. Well, that was the best on camera commercial gig that I ever got. It was about five years of steady work, um, and it really ended about 2020. Um, uh, yeah, I did the commercial thing, and I, I did quite a bit of voiceover uh, work as well. And when the commercial thing started to dry up, I started to get more into the voiceover thing, and um, and that's pretty much what I do now. Um, I've been the uh, promo voice for the Nickelodeon Network since 2019. Oh wow! Yeah, and that, that keeps me busy. You can you can tune in tomorrow. I don't know when the podcast plays, but um, but uh, tomorrow is the uh, Kids' Choice. Tune in tonight at 7.30. Catch Miranda Cosgrove and Rob Grundy at the Kids' Choice Awards. That's awesome. Yeah. What, what time is that tomorrow? It's 7.30 tomorrow night. Oh, we'll definitely write that down. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, um, yeah but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's a living. I, I never really pictured myself in commercials, but it's just kind of how it landed, you know? It, it was weird. I, you know, when I first moved to the city, I never got any training on camera whatsoever. But the only time at Shenandoah specifically we ever talked about doing commercially was one day Hal walked in and somebody asked him about doing commercials, and he said, uh, "Yeah, you you get a check in the mail every couple of months." <laughs> so informative okay. and educational. Yeah, so educational. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. God. That's so funny. So inspiring, too. Thanks, Al. <laughs> Thanks, Al. Um, oh, man. I know. I know. That, so, so that, you know, that, that... You know what, Hal? I'm on Nickelodeon tomorrow night at 7.30. <laughs> yeah, I think he would love it. He would love it. Good old Hal Herman. He, nah, he's asleep through it. He's asleep. <laughs> or he's saying, well, you know, Randy, I always knew you'd never do Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, so that would be it. That would be what Larry... She would say, you know, you could have been so great on stage. Yes. <laughs> your le- your legs were too pretty to be in tights. Oh, man. I think that I think I learned more from Lindy at Shenandoah than I learned from anyone in yeah, any amen. of my classes. Amen. And, amen. And the most important thing I think I learned from Lindy was um, it's going to be hard. <laughs> Like, no one's going to be nice to you. <laughs> that was the main thing I took away from Lindy. Because, you know, when you're a kid and you're doing theater, specifically community theater in Alabama or even Virginia or wherever, you know, the community aspect of the whole thing really dries up when you do it professionally. I mean, it's still there kind of, but, you know, when people are competing for the same roles to feed themselves, it's, um, uh, all the niceties go out the window, at least sometimes. Yeah. No, it's true. So that, so that voiceover kind of component of what you do now, mm-hmm. uh, when the pandemic hit, I mean, 
so much better because you can probably do a lot of that from home, correct? Yeah, it was, um, you know, uh, when I was still auditioning for on-camera commercials and auditioning for voiceover in the city, um, uh, specifically when I was living in Astoria, you know, I would, you know, probably go into the city for three or four auditions every single weekday. And that was my job. You know, I just hang out at the Starbucks between auditions. And, you know, if, if you could book one job every couple of months, you know, like I said, you, you could make a living. Um, but when the pandemic happened and everything had sort of been gearing itself towards more recorded home things anyway, but the pandemic really, I mean, everything's at home now. Like I'm here in my soundproof it's built into a room in, my, in our house. And uh, I, I never leave the house. Like anytime I audition, I'm like, you know, my poor wife has to move the furniture around the house and put up my lighting rig. And I can just hear her like sighing in the background. Like, oh, here we go again. But, but it's all from home and you were able to yeah. kind of keep, uh, keep bread on the table, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely been a blessing. Um, uh, it, it started out slowly and as time has gone on, I've, they've given me more and more responsibility. And, and uh, like I said, for the past couple of weeks, gearing up to the Kids' Choice Awards, it's been, uh, it's been pretty busy. So that's that's amazing and it's it's amazing to have like Nickelodeon like as I mean that's a huge deal it was a huge deal when we were kids and I know it's it's more of a juggernaut than ever uh these days and they're still and sliming kids it's still <laughs> still sliming now yeah. you're doing voiceover work are you doing like character work as well yeah I, I do quite a bit of things um last week I did a a guest star spot on uh, the good nurse. It was literally like um, one, like a lawyer calls in. It's like a loop group thing. Like a lawyer calls into the hospital and I'm the voice of the nurse on the other end, like talking back and forth. You never see me, but. Oh, wow. Okay. And then uh, I've got a, I did a, an animated thing last year. Do you guys watch the fast and the furious movies? Oh, of course. Uh, Ludacris's daughter's got this show on Netflix called, um, uh karma's world karma's world world. and uh i did i it was supposed to be a recurring character but i was karma's best friend's dad but the episode revolved around them getting a divorce so we'll we'll see if they bring old dad back oh no yeah i don't know i don't know that's funny and that's on netflix you said yeah it's on netflix yeah it's actually a really cool show for kids. I don't know if any of you guys have kids, but um, it's a really, really uh, positive show for kids because it revolves around uh, inner city kids expressing themselves through art. I love it. I think it's great. What's the uh, What's the preparation for you? Is it how does it differ from like doing a stage show as far as like doing a character where you're just the voice? Well, that depends. Most days, my preparation is try to get a cup of coffee and put on a pair of shorts before I come downstairs. <laughs> but um, but uh, a lot of things, like specifically for character work, like for animation and stuff like that, really, by the time you book that gig, by the time you get the gig, the, most of that work is, a lot of it's done. Because it's really about character for for um for animation and things like that um and developing that sort of thing i don't know like it, you know 
I've I've had so many, you know, I thought for sure I was like, oh, this is this is the best, this is the no. wackiest character I could come up with, and then you know, cricket. Now, Randy, when someone wants you to record something, does that put you in control of self-editing before you send it back, or are they just gathering your material go? Matt, that is an amazing question. I, I love you to death for asking that question. I The, the thing that has kept going with Nickelodeon has been my ability to self-edit, which, as an actor there is no control whatsoever. Like I, I'm not in control of getting the job. I'm not in control of the words I'm saying. I'm not in control of the direction of the character. I'm not just there doing it. But when I get to do the Nick, it's all, I'm recording at home uh, on the phone with a blocking me through what they want for any specific spot for whatever the promo may be. And then when I get off, with that producer I get to go back and re-listen to it which is something that never gets to happen as an actor in the audition process or in the job process at any point you never get to go okay uh that was pretty good but I think they were looking for this so let me just give it that extra little thing and I get that chance to go back and re-edit and make sure it's just about as perfect as I think it can be before I submit it in for um for the editors to put it up on TV. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I have to, this brings up um, another guest that we have spoken to. Uh, have you read his book, Starting Your Career in Voiceovers by Talon Beeson? <laughs> I heard Talon's book. I have not read it. No, but I know he's doing a bunch of voiceover stuff. I, now, tell me if I'm wrong. Talon is uh, West Coast, yeah? Uh, where was he? Oh gosh, it was he in Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. yeah Tennessee. he's where they keep the whiskey. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm thinking about a new TV show where you and Talon actually are the host, and it's called The Voice Over. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, I don't know about Talon, but uh, I won't be wearing pants. I never do in the studio. It's so hot. <laughs> I'm gonna watch that. Karma is Karma's World. Yeah. I'm going to watch that and imagine the father of her best friend not <laughs> while recording the list. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Yeah, this, I, I only brought up the book in, in jest because the, the world of voiceover, we, we kind of said to Talon, is almost like a secretive club where nobody wants you to get in because, you know, the, the gig pool is what it is. And I, and I said, but Talon, like you just kind of wrote the magician's handbook. Like, aren't you going to get banished from the union or something? <laughs> but everything's made up. It's like, who's the name of your agent? Uh, Bob. Oh, yeah. Bob who? McDonald. Bob McDonald. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. Why don't you send me your stuff and I'll throw it away. Well, I think he said something to the fact that like, well, how are you how do you know that everything I said in the book is actually right? So this book might be an attempt to just make sure people don't get jobs. I don't know. It's total sabotage. It sounds like if I know talent beast then it's sabotage. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So how did you so you got into the commercial you said the commercials through a commercial agent. Okay. So when I first moved to this I mean, okay. You guys know, like coming from Shenandoah there are a, when I got to New York City, everyone in my age class 
who came from other places had a bit of a leg up on where I was because, well, number one, I didn't really have much film training at all, but no one had ever heard of Shenandoah University. Everywhere I went, you know, I was passing out my resume and they look and they were like, Shenandoah University, where the fuck is that? <laughs> right. Like, oh, it's in Virginia. And, you know, it's, it is really well known um, in the music theater circuit really well known and you know you guys specifically got an incredible education musically but for what I got it was uh, you know I really was kind of on my own the thing that I got from Shenandoah that um, that I cherish the most is connections the the friends I made down there because when I got to the city um, my first job was at this little um, uh, cafe in Central Park uh, Shelly Work and Laura Wyas had both worked there. And they got me a job there. And I think people from Shenandoah worked there every summer since until around 2019. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. There was just that weird connection of, like, you know, I I really don't have any connections in the theater world. I'm just going to get out there and throw my resume and headshot around. But uh, can you guys help? Well, we can get you a job. Okay, great. And then you meet people that way. And um, the same company that owned that place owned a bar right across from um, Lincoln Center. And I worked there for several years with uh, Robin Higginbotham. We bartended together. And, uh, yeah, and I met one of my first agents at that bar. It was just a regular who came in and, we were talking and she found out I was an actor and um, the, uh, the agent I had had at the time was a small time guy who had uh, just sent me out because old black and white eight by 10 in the mail and said, Oh yeah, I'll give this guy a shot. And uh, you know, it never really turned into anything, but, uh, but I met this woman at the bar and she was like, well, why don't you come into my agency and, uh, and uh, we'll see if it's a fit. And then it went from there. And, and you know, it's all about networking, I guess. Yeah, so, and then I was going to lead into, so how did you get into the voiceover work? Is that through the commercial work you were doing? or? Yeah, for sure, through the commercial work. I mean, one really sort of leads into the other. Um, when people ask me, usually they're like, what do you do for a living? I usually tell them I'm in advertising <laughs> because it's just easier. When you, when you tell people you're an actor, you know, they automatically think like, oh, what famous people do you know? <laughs> and that's sort of a letdown when you'd be like, well, uh, I did this and this and this. Never. Well, I've hung out with Robert De Niro, you know. Right. But, um, but uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the voiceover and the commercial world were really hand in hand. Like there's a lot of agencies up here who specifically just do that. Um, Atlas. When I, I worked with Atlas as an agency for many years, and they don't have a legit department at all. They don't they don't send people out for, um, you know, for television or movies or anything like that or stage. It's all commercial and voiceover. And um, the agency I'm with now does. They have a big theatrical department. But, um, but so yeah. So now, um, you know, sometimes we have ears and eyes for different things in shows and whatnot. Now, do you have ears for different voiceover stuff and you hear something and kind of go in your head like, nah, I'm okay. Oh, God. Oh, all day long. 
I, I my wife my wife is rolling her eyes at that question right now in her head. I just know it because <laughs> all day long when we watch television, anytime a commercial comes on and the voiceover is something, I think, oh, it's just like, oh God, that's terrible. Like that's clear. That's clearly some non-union garbage right there. They paid that person two hundred and fifty bucks to <laughs> to put out that horrible. Oh, just god awful. All day long. Well, and you you brought up a good point. I mean, it's like it's like that. I guess in every department of the business, you've got your 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 uh, non-union work, your union work, and the 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 more you pay, the sort of better experience you get, and blah blah blah. But if you want something yeah. cheap and and easy or quick, yeah, you know, again, that's that's also a really good observation. I, I it, the things started to change. Um, like I said, uh, you know, right around uh, 2008, 2009, where things, where celebrities started doing more and more commercials and more and more voiceover and things, it, it got a lot harder for the working class, whatever you want to call it, actor, to book those gigs because people, you know, they wanted a celebrity. And before that time, really, celebrities didn't do commercials. It was thought of as... It all started with you know. Terry Hatcher and her husband. <laughs> uh, what commercial was that? I can't remember. But I remember seeing Terry Hatcher, and which I can't believe I pulled the name Terry Hatcher out of Terry the Hatcher. right now. Yeah. Uh, but I remember seeing her on a commercial, and it was around 2008, 2009, and went, oh, yeah. she's slumming. Yeah, yeah. And I think there was the, the big one I remember, Luke Wilson did a bunch of ads for AT&T and everyone was like, oh, his career's over. <laughs> like, he's slumming. He's going down doing commercials. He's really just taking bottom dollar. But after that, I mean, you know, it's not a car commercial if Matthew McConaughey isn't in it, you know. I was about and, to bring that up, yep. Yeah, and, and, you know, it was, after that, there was about a 10-year period where the union tried to fight back against it. And during that 10-year period, the, the new artists who were moving to New York or L.A. Or, or wherever, Chicago, wherever you were auditioning for commercials, they had 10 years of non-union commercial work that they could do of it than there was union work because all the celebrities doing the work. So, you know, you work 10 years at something, you're pretty much a professional. So I, I, I know people to this day who do commercials professionally that aren't union because you know yeah it pays a lot less but there's work and there's really not that much work in union commercials anymore so i mean there is for voiceover but that's a, a kind of a different beast so speaking of actors who do voiceover who do commercials all right are you a fan or not of mr will arnett oh god i love him <laughs> i i just knew you would oh god i love him He's so fun. Did you see the new series, uh, Murderville? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The, the episode, what was the one? Um, uh, the episode, the first one with Conan O'Brien. Oh, my God. I've laughed that hard in a while. It's so funny. We, we were, I haven't seen all of them yet. I've seen it maybe three or four. There's not that many. Um, yeah. yeah, there's only Kumar six. Kumar Johnny was funny. Kumar Johnny was very funny. Um, oh, yes, he was very funny. I almost thought that like Conan was too good at it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to see Sharon Stone and how she operates in that kind of thing. You almost want to find a person 
Like, I'd also like to see that show with people who are non-performers. Yeah. Like, how sure. they would try to do Marshawn something. Lynch. Yeah. Marshawn Lynch, yeah. Actually, I think uh, Marshawn Lynch was probably the best out of all of them. <laughs> he was very yes and, you know? Yeah, he went with the sure. flow. For sure. Um, almost, almost, like, too much at he times. He totally did not solve the murder. But... No, no. <laughs> yeah. No, I just right. think of Will all the time because... Uh, you know, as a comedic actor, my God, Arrested Development and everything else he's done. But the um, the, uh, the the Reese's campaign, of course, that oh, yeah. he and the Batman work that he's done. Um, yeah, well, he he had a, a strong career in voiceover long before anybody knew what his name was. I mean, he's got that deep tone, you know, he's he's been working in voiceover for a long time. Yeah, it's it's interesting just thinking about that world and and how like perfect for the pandemic it really is um, and yeah. has been. So I'm I'm really glad that uh, that you are still kind of getting paid to wear no pants. I mean that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um yeah it, it's really interesting. Uh, my wife and I. I mean she, my wife's been out of work now. I, she has she you know we were out of work or she was out of work during the pandemic for you know a great portion of it and wasn't able to get unemployment so thank god that i was able to like bring in some scratch here in the booth yeah um well randy i'm mindful of your time i just want to do a few like close out things that are unrelated to anything else that we do with everybody on our show what are you reading <laughs> oh what am i reading uh, you know i'm obsessed with um I like histories and biographies and things, but specifically I'm big on, uh, um, uh, uh, like music related things, specifically like revolving, uh, bands that I like. So I, I just finished a book uh, a couple of days ago called sellout, uh, like all the punk and metal bands that big, um, big contracts in the like mid nineties to, you know, late two thousands and how it either made or broke their, their bands. That's pretty fascinating. Like each chapter is a different band. Like it starts with like, you know, day and jawbreaker and bands like that. And then it gets deeper into the weeds of like weird independent punk bands. It's pretty cool. What are you listening to right now? Music wise? Oh man. There's so many great things. To, um, I don't know. Gosh, what about, I love, so so good my wife and i hopefully are going to go see him um new oh, records oh, really Jenny. good i mean I, yeah it's sort of hard to explain it's also very progressive kind of in um uh there's a lot of uh like classical in to it there's just like weird it's very weird like really avant-garde british indie rock um, but I've been listening to stuff. Um, I love the new pop record. Uh, it's more like a punk rock kind of band. And uh, yeah, I've been listening to all sorts of weird metal. Like, I don't know if you guys know. I mean, you guys are down in D.C. still, yeah? Yes, yes. There's a band. It's like the biggest band in hardcore right now. It's a band out of Baltimore uh, called Turnstile. And I've been listening to them for years. And they put out this last album and it's really like everyone's talking about them they're just playing down in brazil and argentina and stuff they're on this tour i'm so happy for them because they're just a bunch of punk kids you know and what um 
what have you been binging like on any kind of streaming service? What's keep keeping your attention? Oh my God. Tell me you guys watch Severance. No, we don't. Oh, we... It's on Apple Plus. Yes. I, I, I can't find like the best thing on TV. It's so good. Patricia uh, Arquette. Yeah. It's got Patricia Arquette and uh, Adam Scott. And uh, it was directed by, um, Oh, night nice museum. Um, uh, Royal Tannenbaum. Uh, um, I mean Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, thank you. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's um, it's like an office suspense. Uh, just jump into it. You'll love it. If you have Apple Plus, it's it's really good. Actually, the uh, season finale dropped tonight, so probably watch it after this. Um, anything else? Did you watch the uh, Pam and Tommy Lee? <laughs> We did. We watched. Uh, we haven't finished it actually. We got about three episodes in. And I totally forgot about it. We need to... Oh Dick. my god, we loved that. We <laughs> loved it. So ridiculous. So funny. Jason Manzukis has the voice of Tommy's penis. That was just perfect. Um, He's got another great voiceover career, Manzukis. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, any any other shows you you have been loving? Oh, let's see. Uh, did you guys watch Patriot on Amazon Prime? No. What's that? That's a show. Uh, Mike Grubbs turned me on to that show. It's like a, it's like a spy thriller, but a really, really dry, dark comedy. <laughs> wow. It's called Patriot? Yeah, it's called Patriot. It's, it's, they're on their second season. Uh, it's got uh, Michael Chernis in it. And uh, oh, no one you Oh, the, the bald guy from Lost. The old guy? Yeah. And oh, the dad Joe. from that 70s show? Yeah, there you go. All right. It's, well, uh, Randy, yeah, this has yeah. been a blast. I really wish that um, that Unity Project could get their <laughs> shit out there on uh, the iTunes so people could experience it or somewhere. Because that stuff was so good, man. Just listening to it. We have a bootleg. Oh, we can put it, it on, on iTunes. We can't. It doesn't work that way, Matthew. No, doesn't. Oh yeah. man, it doesn't. Right do I'd say I'd say in a heartbeat. <laughs> well, at any rate, we love you. It's been great to catch up, and we don't watch at seven thirty tomorrow night. It's on my on my table right here. I'm gonna start churching uh, Colin Irish Spring here in a second. Yeah, it's your world. We're just sliming it. <laughs> Amazing. All right. We love you, Randy. Great to catch up. Take it easy, guys. Great talking. Bye. Bye. Later. Thanks so much, Randy, for joining us. Um, such a blast. We did get to watch the um, Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards. Yeah, they were fun. Yeah, we got to hear your... They were insane. I didn't realize it was so much about kids voting for adults kind of thing. And it was like, oh, wow, of course, if you get endorsement... From kids. From kids, yeah. you're, you're good. You're good for a while. Um, yeah, it was insane. It was great to hear your voice, though. Uh, great to hear your voice. And then, of course, like always, there were some people on the show, entertainers and singers and whatnot, that we were like, who is that? Oh, my gosh. A lot of them, we were like, who we is that? We have no idea yeah. what's going on in the world. Absolutely. Hey. There were a few people that seemed suspiciously drunk um, at a, a Kids' Choice Award that was like, oh. Simon? Too much slime? Yeah, Simon Cow. I think Simon was drunk. Yeah. Anyway. There's no rules against that, though. I mean... 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. So at any rate, uh, thank you, Randy. We love you. And we hope this podcast is the first step towards a Unity Project reunion. Um, we're going to make it so. It's going to happen at the SU campus, at the new student center, or somewhere crazy. All right. Um, if you want to know more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok under Connor and Smith, again with an E-R. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. really helps us out a lot. Share it where you share things. Post it where you post things. Put it where you put things that you put places somewhere. Anyway, um... We uh, really appreciate everyone who's been going to our Discord message board. Uh, The link is in the description of this podcast. You can see some stuff I will not post anywhere else, not on social media or anything. It is only on the Discord. Some photos from back in the day of me and Randy or me and Matt and Randy that we have. Um, And also keep plugging this uh, Spotify playlist, Late 90s Music. Please visit the Spotify playlist. The link is in the description. Add some ska music, maybe, in honor of the Unity Project, um, or some funk, or some punk, um, whatever you'd like, but add it in. Uh, and anything else, Matthew? Ditto. Wow, that that was... <laughs> Just ditto? Okay. Ditto. Awesome, great. All right, well, uh, we have another guest for you. This is uh, airing on... Uh, Easter weekend, so please uh, enjoy. Have a if you celebrate or if you don't, or if you celebrate Passover, whatever you do, have a. It's actually Ramadan, uh Passover, and and Easter. Easter. That's crazy. Well, have a great spring celebration, which is kind of what it all boils down to. So um, we will see you soon. Bye. Bye.